0: Welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. For more information about us, please visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. Amen. Well, how's everybody doing? I feel like everybody's in a pretty good mood today. Is that true? Yeah. At least most of us, right? Well, I want to get right into the word today. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 12, starting verse 1. So if you have a Bible, you want to open up your phone, you can check it out. And uh, we're going to be in that. Of course, it's on screen. And so give you just a second as you turn there, and then I'll begin reading. But this is uh, Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verse 1 through 3. We wrap up our series called To the City Today. I'll talk about that in a second. But let's just uh, read this, shall we? It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance or endurance, the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I wonder how many of us are already thinking, I need that. Yeah? Anyone? So here we are. Today we're wrapping up our uh, To the City series. We've been doing it for 13 weeks. We've been reading through our Bible reading plan. We have one week left. You'll be reading the book of Hebrews this week if you're doing that. And I thought, what better place to end than in Hebrews 12, this amazing chapter, which is about, uh, centered on Jesus. And so we finished this book in Hebrews 12 um, that's all about Jesus. And Hebrews 12 is one of the greatest chapters in, in, in all of Scripture. And that's not to necessarily say it's better than other Scriptures. It's just so much is condensed in this the short amount of space. There's so much theological sort of... Uh, uh, just importance, and there's also practical importance in just these few words. It's one, and this is one of those chapters that I would say every Christian should be familiar with. What is in Hebrews chapter 12, and you should know it. It should be like one of your favorite songs. You know what I mean? Everybody has favorite songs that you know you hear it and kind of. It's kind of like. You know, uh, I love whenever we were in here this morning and me- Christmas music was playing, I could just see everybody kind of move into the music, you know. It's kind of like in a public setting. I love when Mac- Michael Jackson comes on. You know what I'm talking about? Everybody just starts moving a little differently. Doesn't matter what age they are. Some people put a hand up to the ear to like, man, singing Man in the Mirror, something like they're in a studio. I don't know what they're doing, but everybody feels comfortable. And, and, and Hebrews 12 is, is like Michael Jackson. And uh, I hope <laughs> no lightning bolts come and hit me, but stay with me on this one meaning he's, it's transcendent. You know what I mean? It's a song that everybody knows. It's, a, it's, it's something that we should know uh, what is going on in this chapter. Uh, it's one that when we hear it, we begin to lean in. We begin to kind of bob a little different. You know what I mean? We begin to go, oh yeah, I like this song. This is a good one. And so Hebrews 12 is a good one. And uh, we don't know a lot about um, who wrote the book of Hebrews 12. I mean, a lot of people say it was a uh, book of Hebrews, Um, a lot of people say it was Paul, uh, but it may not have been. It may have been Apollos. However, we do know that the author was very educated, very astute in the ways of Judaism, which Paul obviously was certainly that. And uh, this letter, though, is specifically to Jewish people who had become Christians, and and now they were being pressured to stop being Christians. And we know a little bit more about the author. We know that he was a coffee drinker, drinker. He brews. I'm, I'm very sorry for that. I heard, I heard that joke years ago, and I've been, I've, today I had the courage to say it out loud. That was terrible. Um, <clears throat> I do like that it took you guys a good three seconds to get it. Uh, and it is coffee he's brewing, if I. Um, so the writer of Hebrews speaks, he speaks to endurance in this in this passage, endurance for the race that we all have. And I just believe that some of us in here really need this passage today. When I talk about endurance, I would imagine that some in here in this room are, are, are thinking, maybe in your own mind, you maybe never said it out loud, but you're thinking about, Man, I just want to take a step back. I just, I maybe want to quit. And someone here is exhausted from running the race. And it's the race that's your race. And maybe, you know, this could be in the context of your faith. It could be in the context of something else going on in your life. Some of us have been chasing a dream that we feel like God gave us years ago. And we, we just don't know if we should keep going. Some of you have been thinking, um, I'm just tired. And I'm just, I'm weary. and I'm sort of beaten down. And and I just know that it's a pretty normal thing in most people's Christian journey uh, to want to stop at some point. Maybe, maybe Maybe it's in your life, you know, maybe it's a business owner and you're just wondering, when is the point where we can turn the corner? Or perhaps it's in a marriage where, you know, things just continue to be a struggle and you don't know if it's time to just move on. Or maybe you're tired of taking big swings And feeling like you just keep on missing anybody (laughs) with me on that i know that for a lot of christians there's times in which you feel attacked in some way and struggling and you just want to sort of give in i was talking to a friend recently who had made a lot of changes in his life to do the right thing to, to do his life to get his life in a good place and since then it's been a struggle and it's been hard to do the right thing And he's tempted to just go back to his old ways because it seemed a little easier then. And I know that that's a real thing for so many people. And we understand the feeling of wanting to stop trying. We've probably all had a season where we just wanted to stop, right? We just wanted to, I know some, I don't always want to get up here and preach. (laughs) You know what I mean? I know that comes a surprise to you. (laughs) But I don't always want to do this. Sometimes I don't really know if I have what it takes to do what I feel called to do. And I know some of you probably feel the same way about your life. Like, I don't know if I really have what it takes to do what I feel called to do. And I believe for some of us today, you're going to be given the encouragement you need to keep going. He's going to give you uh, to keep trusting, to keep believing that he's not done with what he said to you. And he's going to carry on the good work that he started in you. He's going to carry it on to completion. And I believe he wants to restore, and I believe he wants to strengthen some people today in a very specific way. And something that some of you, you're here today because you need to hear this word. And it's not from me, it's from God's word. It's a word that he has for you. That he says, I want you to keep your faith. A few months ago, I, messi- I gave a message about not losing heart. And in some ways, <clears throat> this message kind of continues that. But Hebrews takes us a little bit further and, and, and really believing in this. Now let's, let's look at how it begins. We're gonna go back to verse number one, all right? Verse number one says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Now they teach you in seminary that when you see the word therefore, you need to know what it's there for. <laughs> Amen? Um, <clears throat> meaning, you gotta know the context, right? You need to know what's going on. So if you back up to chapter 11, because he, there's just a whole, path, or a whole bunch of stuff going on in chapter 11 that he then says therefore about. In chapter 11, the context of what he's, what's going on here is this is called the hall of faith. If you know this chapter, it's the hall of faith. The writer references all these amazing people that have went before us who have lived faithful lives and who have fought the good fight. And he names great heroes of faith. And you, you'll know these names, names like Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham, <laughs> Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Rahab, David, and others. And he says, I want you to look back at their life. I want you to take a look back at their life and see how they lived their faith. And when you're tempted to believe that you can't keep going, you can't keep running your race, I want you to remember, I want you to look back at them and believe that you aren't as alone as you think you are. He says, you know, this this whole letter to the the Hebrews is to a group of people who are being pressured to stop. They are being pressured to stop the race altogether. (coughs) Quit enduring, quit believing in Jesus Christ. This is what they are being pressured to do. And when I say pressured, I don't, really, I don't mean like they kind of get an awkward look or have an awkward encounter when you tell someone you're a Christian and they kind of look at you weird. Not that kind of pressure. Not the kind of pressure we think is pressure, but a kind of pressure where their homes are being confiscated, the kind of pressure where they're being mistreated um, at, at every, you know, every turn of their life. The pressure was to stop naming Christ. The pressure was to stop standing for justification through Christ alone. And to just settle into a more comfortable life, to be like everyone else, to just go with the flow, to not rock the boat with all this Jesus stuff. And when the writer says, we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, the witnesses, the witnesses are these great heroes of the faith. And the Greek word for cloud in this context is, of course, a, it's a large group of people and this isn't intended to mean that there's you're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses that are watching your life. You know, sometimes we think everybody in heaven's down there looking down on us. Who knows? I don't know what's going on up in heaven. But it's but I'm thinking they got other things to do. <laughs> it's just my thought. But it's not a crowd of witnesses witnessing us. It's a crowd of witnesses that we get to witness what they did. You understand? It, the witnesses are not of us. They they are for us, for us to see. What they've done, there is a life that we, get in the, that we get to witness and learn from. Therefore, we have this great cloud of witnesses that we've learned from, that we've witnessed that God's grace was enough for them. So it very, it's not only possible, but it's probable that it's enough for us as well. So the writer is like, I know you want to stop, but don't. The writer is like, I know you feel alone, but you're not. He's like, I know you feel like you don't have what it takes, but you do. I know you feel like no one understands you, but he does. I know you're wondering, when, when God, are you going to bring the breakthrough? When are you going to answer the prayer? Look back. This is what he says. Look back and remember that God sees people through. That's what he does. So therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let's keep reading the next part. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance, and I, keep, and I put the word endurance in there because I believe that's another way it's uh, translated at times, and I like that word. Let us run with endurance, the race marked out for us. Now, endurance is, is difficult. Anybody, any runners in here? Is there a point when you're running, when you hit the wall, you know what I mean, when endurance becomes difficult? And I think about it in the Christian life, and I've experienced fatigue. As a Christian, anybody? I've experienced fatigue in prayer. I've experienced fatigue in hope. And I'm like, should I just give in to the fatigue? You know, the hardest part of living in a culture of expectancy, anybody expect God to do great things? Yes. The hardest part of living in a culture of expecting expectancy is waiting on God to bring the breakthrough. Is waiting on God to answer the prayer. Because those, so in those moments that endurance is tested, and our fatigue sets in, and we want to stop. The battle is in the mind, and we can't. It, it gets pretty intense in the mind, does it not? Anybody like yeah? The battle in the mind gets pretty intense, uh, especially when breakthrough or unanswered prayers uh, seem to, you know, seem to happen when the prayer doesn't come as quickly as we think it should, and we feel like, you know, I just need to stop pressing in. I don't want to pray with such expectancy anymore. I've felt it. I know others have felt it. Let's look at what it says, though. It says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. In other words, you're going to get weighed down. We allow things to hinder us from who And what God wants for our life. There's going to be things that wear us down. That's another translation of this. And sometimes those things aren't even sins, by the way. In fact, this happens with so many of us. And it's it's actually very easy for these things to happen. We don't mean for them to happen, but they do happen. We get hindered. We get weighed down by things. We don't want to be weighed down, but we do. And I think it's interesting the way this is worded. Because it's not just the sins that weigh us down. But it's everything that hinders you. That hinders you from what God has called you to do. Well, that's got to go. (laughs) there are times that even good things weigh us down. Would you agree? You know, think about a runner in a race. Water is needed in that race, right? They need water to finish the race. But if you strap a five-bucket gallon of water on that runner's back, that doesn't help them. That just weighs them down, right? There's, There's the right amount at the right times. And we have to consider in our lives all the things that we do and don't do. Is there anything hindering me from what God would want for me? Is there anything preventing me from running the race that God has for me? And when it comes to the sin in our lives, I think a lot of us know. I think a lot of us know when we're engaged in some sort of sin or we have sin in our life that is hindering us from what God wants. We know about it. We don't like to talk about it. We don't like to you know even speak about it but you know it's i think it's becoming increased even though a lot of us know i think it's becoming increasingly difficult in today's culture to sometimes distinguish sin um, and what i mean by that is because culture has taken so many areas of life that are pretty big areas uh, and they started to twist and turn them for example culture culture says that sex before marriage or even living together before you're married is is not only acceptable but it's probably a good idea You should live with someone before you marry them. That's what I hear. But Scripture says something differently. You know, culture says today that coarse language is not that big a deal. Culture says today that dark, sin-filled forms of entertainment that we watch on a screen aren't that big a deal. Yet, Scriptures teach us that our minds are supposed to be filled with purity and goodness and righteousness and to flee from sinful behavior. Culture tells us that rules of business, right, Engagement, or it's a dog eat dog world. So you know, do whatever it takes. Cut corners. Um, make sure you take care of yourself. But the scriptures teach us that we should think of others more highly than ourselves. You know, sin has a sneaky way of creeping into our lives and hiding in the corners, the dark corners of our lives, and then wreaking some sort of havoc that we don't even realize how much it's preventing us from running the race that God has for us and it's hindering us. And we're trying to run this race for Jesus as Christians, but we have these sins that are like cinder blocks on our around our ankles that we don't know about or not acknowledging with enough 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 clarity. And so there's this there's this passage right here that tells us you need to throw off the things that hinder you from the race that God has for you. You know, I've talked from the scripture a few times before, and every time I do, I think of this story, one of my favorite survival stories. I like survival stories of all types, and uh, it's not survival stories of me. I'm not too adventurous, but um, uh, the story of Aaron Ralston has always brought me great fascination and great joy. Several years ago, I told this story, and so I'll just give the really quick version of it, um, and then quick summary, but... It was made in a movie about seven or eight years ago, but the first time I heard about the story was maybe 10, 11 years ago on one of those Dateline shows, you know, where they, they do the you know the, the story of that. And uh, uh, this guy is this avid mountain climber. Um, he decides to go climbing by himself uh, in some canyons in, in Utah, which is never a good idea to go by yourself, but he does it because he's experienced. He feels like he's got it. He's, so he gets out and he's by himself. And as he's climbing, a large boulder falls down and pins his arm, falls right on top of his forearm, his right forearm, and it pins his arm to the point that he literally can't do anything about it. And so he's struggling there for hours. He's crying out to people to help him. No one hears him. Hours turn into days. He's hanging on on the side of this cliff, arm pinned under a rock under this boulder for five days. And he's pretty sure he's going to die. He's not going to make it. And so he's decided, you know, I'm going to die. But he has this one last ditch effort that he says, maybe Maybe if I'm going to live, I have to let this arm go. And so he pulls out a pocket knife that he has with him that he had bought at Walmart on the way in, and he begins to do the methodical work of removing his arm, one tendon and muscle and nerve at a time. I won't get into this for those who are squeamish, but it's quite, it's quite the uh, ordeal, as you can imagine. And he successfully removes his arm to the point that now he is free from the boulder, But he's not done, he's got a 65 foot rappel down a rock wall and an eight mile journey to his truck. And so he gets down the rock wall and he begins, and it it looks like he's not going to make it, but he sees a family, He spots a family having a picnic. So if you can imagine with your family having a picnic, eating your Lunchable and your Oreos, and a guy with a bloody stump comes up to you. Well they end up calling help and he survives. But I love what what he says in his book about his story of survival. And he says this. He says, I had to lose my arm in order to gain my life. And sometimes you have to do drastic things. You have to cut away things that hinder you from the life that God has for you. You want to gain your life, you have to cut the sin. You want to gain your life, you have to cut the things that may be good, but they're weighing you down. It's like a boulder on top of your arm. You're not going anywhere. Whether that be sin or even things that aren't sin, but they're weighing you down. Some of you are overcommitted. Some of you have said yes to the wrong things and no to the right things. Some of you are weighed down because you're, you, just, you find yourself doing all sorts of really just someone else's race. You've compared yourself to someone else for so long that you're trying to be like them and you're running someone else's race instead of your own. You know, I've never wrestled when I was younger. I know, maybe surprising. <clears throat> I was a basketballer. You know, shot caller, all that deal. Um, but when we were practicing basketball, there were the wrestlers in the gym, and they were running the stairs, and they were wearing plastic suits. Anybody seen this scene before? And what are they doing? They're running the stairs. They're sweating to death. And what are they trying to do? Weight. Cut weight. What sport? is worth cutting weight for, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. But, uh, so they're up there cutting weight, and they're, they're trying to lose a oh, couple extra pounds in order to be stronger than their opponent. And I know for most of us, we could look at each other and say, I have some weight I need to cut. In fact, this is probably isn't a good idea, but look at the person next to you and say, you need to cut some weight. <laughs> I saw a lot of husbands not do that one. They're like, I'm smarter. <laughs> Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. Those are the things that often stop us. Those are the things calling us to fall away from the Lord. Those are the things that make many of us want to quit. I've seen it so many times where someone's like, they, they take a step back from the Lord and really underneath it, there's some sin that's getting in the way. There's some, there's some weight in their life that they don't recognize is, is really preventing them from just pursuit of Jesus. Then the writer of Hebrews says this. The next part of the verse says, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. Now, honestly, these words are the reason I wanted to preach this passage today. I I, I love these words. Uh, I wanted to end this series by declaring, let's fix our eyes on Jesus. Jesus must be the object of our focus. And we can easily get our eyes focused on other things all the time. And even the boldest of us, even in our boldest seasons of our life, it's so easy to get our eyes off of Jesus. You've probably had times whenever you are just like, I'm all in in my faith but it's so easy to get distracted. I love the story that kind of illustrates this where Peter is walking on the water with Jesus, Matthew 14, 28. It says this, Peter, suddenly bold, right? He's bold. He said, Master, if it's really you, call me to come to you on the water. He said, well, come ahead. And jumping out of the boat, Peter walked on the water to Jesus. But then look what it says. But when he looked down, At the waves churning beneath his feet, he lost his nerve, and he started to sink. And he cried, Master, save me. Jesus didn't hesitate. He reached down and grabbed his hand. You know, Peter had his eyes on Jesus, and as soon as he looks down, right, in this particular story, he begins to sink. What a picture for us right? That there's this, this reality that when our eyes are on Jesus, um, when our eyes are on Jesus, this is this is truly when we are living the life that God has for us. And that's not to say that when our eyes are on Jesus, there won't be challenges that happen. In fact, there could be a lot of bad things that happen when our eyes are on Jesus. It doesn't mean that life is easy. We're always walking on water when our eyes are on Jesus. In fact, in, in Hebrews 11, remember the, 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 the chapter that um, that we reference with all the the great heroes of the faith. Well, in Hebrews chapter 11, the writer says a few things. This isn't on screen, but I'll just reference it. He says there were others who, he's talking about some of these people of faith. He says there were others who were tortured and refused to be released so that they might even gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about In sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated, the world was not worthy of them. You see, really what you hear is whenever you keep your eyes on Jesus, then you can endure anything. You can run any race. Because Jesus is the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. He is the one. That gives us not only the endurance, but he's the one that perfects our faith. You know, this is the only combination of those two words in the scriptures anywhere. This this pioneer, perfecter, author, finisher. It's the only time they come together. No other place did these two words come together to describe anything other than in this passage where they describe Jesus. Which I love because it's kind of like, yeah, yeah, there's Jesus in class all by himself, of course, right? And so... No one else, nothing else is like him. He is the author and the perfecter. You know, um, I wrote when I wrote my book a few years ago. Uh, I was assigned an editor to, my, editor to my book, and and as they read through the book, they sliced and diced, and they took. You know, I had like 250 pages, and they're like, "You really need to get down to 180. You're a 180 page author, Max." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay. They slice, dice, they're like, that's not any good, that's better, yeah, do that. And I'm like, to the point that I was like, well, who's the author here? You know what I mean? They're like, well, you are, but we're the editor, we're the perfector. we're the finisher. If you want the book to be better, you'll do what, we do what we say. I was like, okay. All authors need an editor. But Jesus, he's both, right? He's the author and the perfector. He's both, he's the creator, he's the one who makes us, the pioneer who blazed the trail for us, but he's the perfecter, he's the editor. He's the one who chisels us into the person that he created us to be and who we ought to be. He's the, not only the author, but he's the finisher. He's the alpha and the omega. He's the beginning, he's the end. He's everything in between. He's the only thing worthy of your focus and your attention and your passion. You see, this is why the writer says we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. We will do many things in this world, but you must only have one passion that drives all the things you do. It's Jesus. You will love many things in this world. You will love many people in this world. But you should only have one Lord in this world. There is nothing else that we should be fixing our eyes on. Not money. Not success. Not success. Not even our family, not on relationships, not on accomplishment, but i got to ask you today, what is catching your eye? What's the thing that's making you turn your eyes away from Jesus? What distraction is it? What weight is it? What sin is it? What's the thing that's pulling you, just like Peter, like your eyes are on Jesus and all of a sudden you're looking down and you're looking at the waves turning beneath your feet. What's the thing that's pulling you away? You're like, I don't know if I can keep going. I don't know if I really want to keep going. I'm, just, And you want to stop. We have to throw off the things that entangle us and, call us and cause us to lose the way that he's called us to. Yeah, I don't think there's any other word that's better for us in a season of Advent than to fix your eyes on Jesus. I mean, that's what it's, That's what it's all about. It's the reason for the season. Make him the object of your affection, your attention, and your focus. Make him the centerpiece of your passion and your purpose. I don't know if you're thinking in your life right now, um, I, I don't know if I want to keep going. I was thinking about this message today. I was like, it's going to be encouraging to everyone, but it's going to be needed for some of us. Because some of us are in a place that we're struggling. Um, we don't know if we have what it takes. We feel alone. Um, I just want you to remember something today. You are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Look back at them. Remember that just as God's grace was enough for them, it's enough for you too. Shed the things that are weighing you down. Throw them off of you. And keep running with endurance the race that Jesus has marked out for you. Because we actually need you to do this. You understand that? You Not only do you need this, but we need this. Because we all need you to be you. We don't need you to be anybody else. We don't need you to be running anybody else's race. The world needs you to be you. The world needs you to keep going. The world needs you to keep pressing in. The world needs you to keep believing that God has more for you. The world needs you to do that. The family member around you, the person that's sitting next to you, they need you to do it. And it's not just that you keep pressing for them. You keep pressing because there's a great cloud of witnesses that that Jesus is saying, and and the writer in this is saying, like, listen, you are not the only one that's been where you're at right now. You're not the only one that feels the things you felt right now. There's a whole group of people that would, they they just wanted to stop. They were being pressured to stop. He's like, listen, you, you are not the only one that has felt what you feel. If you feel hurt, he understands that. And he's not telling you to keep pressing and keep going like he's some coach yelling at you from behind. No, he's saying, listen, I've walked this journey with person after person, human after human. And I'm telling you, just keep your eyes on me. I'll take care of you. Keep your eyes on me. I'll keep you above water. Trust me. We need you to be you. I started looking through the scriptures this week about passages that speak to our attention and our focus staying on Christ, staying on the, on the Lord. And I just found several of them, and I thought they'd be encouraging for me to just read through. So I'll just read these over you if you don't mind. They're come on the screen so you can read along. Jeremiah 29 13 says, You will seek me. It's another way of saying focus, right? You will seek me and find me, and when you seek me, or when you seek me with all of your heart. Psalm 91, verse 14 says, Because he has focused his love on me, meaning he's focused his love on God. I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls out to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in his distress. I will deliver him. I will honor him. Psalm 123 2. We keep looking to the Lord our God for his mercy, just as servants keep their eyes on their master. Colossians 3 1. Therefore, if you have been raised with the Messiah, keep focusing on the things that are above, where the Messiah is seated at the right hand of God. Philippians 3 13. Dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Hebrews 3.1. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, partners in, your, in, in a heavenly calling, keep your focus on Jesus, the apostle and the high priest of our confession. You know, God is constantly telling his people, remember my words because our hearts are bent on going our own way, are they not? But when you're focused on the Lord and you're focused on his word, listen to this, Proverbs 5 says, my son, stay focused. Listen to the wisdom I have gained. Give attention to what I've learned about life so that you may be able to make sensible judgments and speak with knowledge. Proverbs 4:25 and through 27, let your eyes look directly ahead and let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. Watch the path of your feet, and all, the way, and all your ways will be established. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Turn your foot from, or in other words, away from evil. First Peter 5, 8. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy. Because he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Jonah 2, 7. When I had lost all hope, I turned my thoughts once more to the Lord, and my earnest prayer went to your holy temple. In Psalm six. then I shall be put to shame. Excuse me. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all of your commandments. So what's something, even, even for those of you that are like, I wasn't ready to quit, I'm good. This is... a What's one thing that you can do to turn your attention, to, to fix your eyes on Jesus? You know, when, you know, we are in an Advent season. On every Monday night, our family, we get, to, we get together and we do a, an, an Advent kind of family night together, and we'll do a family activity, but family meal, but then we'll also do like this little moment where we talk about Christ, and we memorize scripture sometimes. We talk about all these things, but the thing that we always do, and the thing that always, it's become kind of our favorite family tradition, actually doing this every Monday night through December. Over the years, we've done it. And and the reason I think it's become our favorite is because it is is the time when we, as a family, make sure we're keeping our eyes on Jesus. You know what I mean? That we are constantly pulling our eyes back towards Christ and what he's done in our life. And so for you, what do you need to do to turn your eyes to Jesus? And this message to the Hebrews feels like it was for them, but this message to the Hebrews is for our city today, and it's for you today. And I hope that if you're feeling like, I'm going to stop. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quit on this one. I want to read this passage one more time to you from Hebrews. And I'll just jump down to the part where it says, Let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Not not not, Not on the waves. Consider him who endured such opposition. He just throws that in one more time. Consider him. Think about him. Who endured all that opposition so that you won't grow weary or lose heart. Let's pray together. Father, I pray for my friends today. I pray for those who needed this today, who are gonna be encouraged today by your word and by your spirit. I pray right now that, Lord, even as we pause for prayer and we turn our attention to you, that, Lord, this moment would be one in which anyone in need of just turning their heart to you, turning their attention to you, turning back to you, I pray that right now Lord they would do that in our heart so that's you if this is one of those moments where you're like I need to I need to throw off the things that have hindered me right now and I want to pray that Lord I could throw those things off so I could I could run a race without cinder blocks tied to my ankles I could lift the boulder of weight off Right now you can just start praying that prayer to say lord i just want to i just want to throw these things off and i want to persevere and endure for the race that you've called me to lord i pray for any person in here that that's where they're at i pray for all of us in here that lord we would in this season just turn our attention to you more than we maybe ever have but lord that we would just persistently pursue you as our one and only king, as our passion and our purpose. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Would you stand with us? We're going to just close with a song that hopefully sort of allows us to reflect and respond even to the word we've, been re- we've heard today. But as we sing, of course, we have our prayer team here and our altars open for prayer if you want to respond to the Lord by taking that step to pray with someone.